Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. You know, we've been talking, like I said, for the last couple of months about spiritual gifts. And um, the title of the series has been Finding Your Voice, because every life says something. Every life says, your life is saying something. Your life needs to be heard. God created you with a message. God, God made you with a specific voice, and, and you need to be heard. And I happen to believe, our leaders here at New River happen to believe that part of the purpose of our church existing, part of the reason why we're even here, is to help each and every one of you as individuals discover what that is that God created you to do and to be and to help you fan that into a flame and to make that a reality. Like, isn't that really why a local church should exist? It's one of the reasons, certainly, to build up the people that are part of that body to discover all that God made them to be. So that's what we've been all about these last couple of months. But there's kind of a danger in this series And that's what I want to talk about today, sort of a word of caution. And the caution is this, that when we start talking about spiritual gifts, we sometimes can tend to prioritize them. We create a hierarchy. Because let's face it, some of the gifts might have a little more pizzazz than others. And so... Our tendency is to look at the ones that have some more of the pizzazz, to look at the ones that are maybe more in the spotlight, and think, oh, those are better than these. And that's not true. But it's not a new problem. Part of the reason why we're even discussing it, part of the reason why it's even in the Bible, is because the early church actually was doing that. They were creating a hierarchy out of the gifts. And so we have in our Bibles, in our New Testaments, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, dealing specifically with this, and the heart behind it was because the Corinthian church was using it to create a hierarchy, and the Apostle Paul is writing to correct it, and here we have this teaching on spiritual gifts. So it's a really a, uh, it's a common problem. And it's one we might as well deal with head on. I want to talk today about building a culture of honor. Because in a culture of honor, all of the gifts and all of the people are valued in that culture. People are valued because people are valuable. And we don't value them because they have this gift or that gift. We value people because we're made in the image of God and you're valuable. That's a culture of honor. To get us started, I have a little illustration that we're going to use throughout the whole message. And so I'm just going to pull this out because this is a picture of what we do with our relationships. Our relationships and our the way we structure our relationships often in our society is we put them on a ladder. And we say, well, here's people down here that... No, they're, they're nice. They're just not that important. And then up here, you have your, your famous people who are really big and high-powered, and they've written best-selling books, and they're speakers, and they're, ooh, these are the big people. And we have this sort of hierarchy up and down the ladder in our friendships. Have you ever noticed that? 
But I want you to know something. In a sense, the latter isn't really bad. In a sense, almost, God kind of created the latter because he created leaders. I mean, it's not like that's, a, that's not anti-biblical. Think about all the people in the Bible, your heroes, your beloved heroes in the Bible. Many of them were actually at the top of the ladder. Abraham was wealthy. I mean, he was loaded. I mean, it might have been with sheep and goats, but he was loaded in his day. And, and Joseph was second in command in Egypt. And Moses was not far behind him. And then you have Daniel, a high-level government employee. David was a king. Esther was a queen. See where I'm going with this? A lot of the people that we hold near and dear to our hearts in the Bible, they actually were at the top of the social ladder in their lives. So what I'm saying is this. It's not, the ladder itself is not wrong. The sin is this. The sin is when we place value on the rungs. That's the sin. The sin is when we say, this person is more valuable than this person. Because, see, they're in the spotlight. They've got this. They look like that. That, my friend. You see, what we have going on in our society now, it's not an income inequality problem. It's a value inequality problem. We've attached value to it. And in the kingdom of God, we're all equally valuable. Regardless of how much money is in your bank account or what position you have in society, we're all valuable. And a culture of honor recognizes that. Part of the problem with this ladder is that once we get people in their spot, we tend to keep them there and not let them out because we define people by their spot. And that even happened to Jesus. We come to Mark chapter 6. Jesus actually encountered this problem because Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth to preach and to minister. You know, by now he had become somewhat of a famous minister. And he comes back home to his hometown of Nazareth. And Mark chapter 6 tells us that this is what happened. It says that Jesus left there. And if you want to read this with me, you can, you can look it up if you'd like. We're going to look up three uh, chapters in the Bible this morning. So you're going to put your Bible to good use today. Mark chapter, I know I love it. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's kid and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And look at this. They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He could not do any miracles there. And this was his second visit. His first visit back home went even worse. 
His first visit is recorded over in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse 28 to 30. It tells us that that day they happened to, they happened to become furious with him in the synagogue, and they got up and they drove him out of town. They took him to the edge of a cliff and tried to throw him up it. That was his first visit back home. His second visit back home went a little bit better, but not much. But you see what they're doing? They were stuck on the ladder. Like, aren't you a carpenter? There's no way you could be doing these things. How, who do you think you are? Don't you know you're Mary's kid? You're Mary's kid. See what they're doing? There's no way you're going to let him off the, run, off the bottom rung. And as a result, you know what? You see what happened? He could not do any miracles there. That's incredible. In other words, the activity of God was stifled. Stifled because they refused to honor Jesus. So a lack of honor actually inhibited the power of God. What that tells me is that God was prepared that day to do miracles. I mean, the Bible tells you he couldn't do any. So God's prepared. Think about what the town of Nazareth missed out on. God's prepared to do miracles. And because you couldn't get past the fact that that's Mary's kid, you completely lost the blessing that God had in store for you. So you see the danger of what dishonor does? Dishonor inhibits the activity of God. And honor actually opens it up. So what I want to do today is take a look at two more chapters from the Bible. One, we're going to talk about what a culture of dishonor looks like. It's negative. And then we're going to end with the positive, what a culture of honor looks like, okay? And I think as we go through these two passages of Scripture and we sort of put them side by side, the negative with the positive, that in the process we'll, we'll learn something about what a culture of honor does and, and what it looks like. So first, we're going to go over to John chapter 9, and we're going to talk about what a culture of dishonor does, and I'm going to read it. It's a long passage, 34 verses, but what we'll do is we'll read it, and then we'll just comment as we go, okay? So that's how we'll kind of follow through with it. John chapter 9, I'll start with verse 1. It says, um, as he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, hey, Rabbi... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. In a culture of dishonor, friends, assumptions are made based on appearances. In a culture of dishonor, assumptions are made based on appearances. Because, see, this whole thing's about appearances. If you've got the right look, the right car, the right 
perfume, the right bank account, the right haircut, the right whatever it is. You got the right thing. You're up there. And if you don't, you're down here. And everybody along the way is fighting really hard to get the right thing so that they can have that up there. That's how this whole thing works. So a culture of dishonor is based on appearances. And what do these guys see? They see a blind beggar sitting by the street. And you see the assumption that the disciples made? Hey, Jesus, so uh, who blew it? Obviously, there's a problem. This guy's either a sinner or... His parents are really bad, and now they're getting cursed because their son's blind. That's tragic. In a culture of dishonor, it's all about the appearance, and assumptions are made based on what it looks like. Um, We keep on reading. Verse 8. Verse 8, his neighbor, so the man gets healed. So you're thinking, this ought to be a really good day for this guy. But it turns out the not be such a great day. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, Well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. (laughs) I love this guy. They brought him to the Pharisees. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So this is now the second time this man has to explain it. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, yeah, but how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? You know, in a culture of dishonor, what happens is we refuse to listen to those whom we perceive to be lower than us. Remember, he's just a blind beggar. And the leaders at the top of the ladder, they already have their assumptions. They know what they're doing, what they're about. This man is not quite fitting the mold. And so there's a refusal to listen to him. You know, how many times does the guy have to say, I was blind and now I see. How many times does he have to explain what happened? Okay, he spit, mud, eye, washed. How many times before they actually believe him? There's a refusal in a culture of dishonor to listen to those whom we perceive to be lower than we are. You know, 
it's one thing for us to listen to, uh, let's say, a guest preacher, somebody that comes in, we bring in a, a guest, and it's great, I love guest speakers, and we, we listen to them, and, and we tend to treat them like they're experts because we don't know them, and, um, but it's one thing to listen to them, but is it possible that God wants to say something to you through a fourth grader? See, you, want, you need to pay attention to who it is that you are willing to listen to. Have you ever noticed that you're more willing to listen to some than you are to others? That there are certain people and certain types of people that you dismiss. But then there's others that when they talk, oh, you listen. I propose to you that that's actually a culture of dishonor that's at work in your heart and mine. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers here. We all, we all do it. It's sort of a human natural tendency. I, I listen to every word that this person says, but this person, take it or leave it. In a culture of dishonor, we refuse to listen to those whom we perceive to be lower than ourselves. So we keep on going. Verse 20, the parents then answer, well, we know that he's our son, the parents answered. That's good. They know, they know their kid, okay. And we know that he was born blind. They got that. That's good. And, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. I think this is the saddest part of this whole passage right here coming up next. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. I mean, if there's anybody that's going to be in your corner, like, shouldn't it be mom and dad? And, and yet, they're in this culture where there's fear. See, in a culture of dishonor, there's fear that if you don't measure up just right, you are rejected. You're the next one out. There's always somebody else who can fill your spot. So toe the line, buddy, or else you're gone. These parents are living under this fear so much so that they're hesitant to even stand by their own son. <laughs> How sick is that? So a culture of dishonor is oppressive, is it not? We come to verse 24 a second time. They summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said, as if he's been lying, right? <laughs> okay, finally this time, tell the truth. Tell the truth. We know that this man's a sinner. He replied, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love this guy. He's, he's pretty simple. All I know is I woke up this morning and I couldn't see, and I had some guy spit in my eyeball, and now I can see. Like, that's all I know. And they're asking him to give testimony about Jesus, and he's like, I can't really tell you about him. I can only tell you what happened to me. I love this guy because he really doesn't have like a formal Christology 
developed in his own mind. You know, he hasn't been to seminary. He doesn't have all the Bible verses memorized. So he can't really speak to the deity of Jesus Christ, but he just knows. I woke up, I was blind, and now I can see. That's what I got. And these guys are constantly pressing him, pressing him, pressing him. Okay, he keeps on going. So he answered, I've told, then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Third time they asked him that question. He answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Uh, then, they, then they hurled insults at him, and they said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You know, in a culture of dishonor, you keep people in their places at all costs. Do you see what's happening in, these, in the dynamic in this relationship, in this whole conversation, this encounter? This blind man, he experiences this miracle. And he's being quizzed on it. And they ask him three different times. They don't even believe that he was blind. But he's been blind his whole life until today. And now they're quizzing him on this thing. And this man begins to assert himself just a little bit. Do you notice that in the, in the conversation? He begins to assert himself just a little bit. And how do the people at the top of the ladder respond? They hurl insults at him. You were steeped in sin and birth. How dare you lecture us? They threw him out of the synagogue. See, we're not going to allow you to even come. You can't. Keep your place, boy. Keep your place. That's a culture of dishonor. Where people are kept in their spots at all costs. We don't want to rock the boat. Especially if you're up here, I really don't want to rock the boat. I'd like to maintain my power and my prestige at all costs. So I do everything I can to maintain that. And anybody who dare tries to assert themselves is immediately shoved back down and put back in their place. Friends, a culture of dishonor is uh, one of the worst parts about it is this. Nobody grows. Whether you're at the top or you're at the bottom, nobody's growing. Because the only way to grow is to be able to receive from others. Because you know God uses people, doesn't he? He uses people in people. I mean, anything that you've learned, the best things you've received in your walk with Jesus over the years has been how? Through people. God uses people to bless people, uses people to teach people, challenge people, help people to grow. And so if we're all stuck in our own spots and nobody's listening to anybody else, then nobody's growing. I, let me just ask you this question. 
do you find that there are some people that are easier for you to listen to than others? And what does that say about you and me? And who are you more who are you more likely to listen to than others? Because that also says something about what's valuable to you. See, the, the chances are, the, the, cho- the probability is that the reason why we listen so much to our stars and uh, to our famous people is because all of us want that. See, we value that, we value them, and so we are more able to listen to that than we are to someone else. You know, you're, you're not going to get a best-selling book on, uh, you know, three, three ways to stay normal. You know, you're, you're not going to, there's no, there's no self-help guides on uh, just, you know, maintaining your life. It's always, here's five steps to be a millionaire, you know, five steps to be famous. You know, we have TV shows. We don't have TV show called Lifestyles of the Poor and Obscure. We have a TV show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You don't have fixer-upper TV show. HGTV does not have any shows about, like, a hovel in the inner city Philadelphia. You know, here, come. Hey, look, there's a rat. Oh, cool, great. Nobody's, nobody's aspiring to that. We're all aspiring to that, see? And that's why we listen to it. So I listen to what I value. So who you listen to reveals who you value, what you value. And what I'm saying to you today is that a culture of honor in our church says, I'm actually able to listen to anybody and everybody because God has something for me. And sometimes what God has for me comes in a package that I'm not, that's maybe not my favorite. Have you ever noticed that? So I want to take a look at a culture of honor and what a culture of honor looks like. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10 to go there. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. And like I said, the last one was kind of negative, certainly a little dark. And now this is going to be much more positive. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. And I'll just read it, and then we'll comment, and then we'll close. So verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Stop right there. Does that tell you that we're in maybe a different territory right there? A servant whom his master valued highly. Uh, We're talking about a different person now, aren't we? The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Just stop right there for a second. So, Just a point of clarity, this is not the reason why Jesus went with these men. This is, these guys are operating with sort of an old thinking, true? That's kind of how we operate. Hey, Jesus, this guy deserves you to do something because, wow, did you see the size of the check he wrote? (laughs) 
<laughs> you might want to give this guy a phone call, Jesus. See, that's how we operate. That's not how Jesus operates. Do you see that? So Jesus goes with these guys, but you need to understand he's not going with these guys because the guy wrote a check. You get that? Jesus would have gone with them anyway. I think he's demonstrated that, hasn't he? So verse 6, Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. There's a couple of things about this guy. First of all, he's a centurion. A centurion. So if you're talking about the latter, you, you have Caesar, and you have the king, you have the governor, and then you have the centurions. A centurion would be a, a military leader, captain, lieutenant in the Roman army. He oversaw 100 soldiers. Not only that, but remember, this is a time in the first century when the Romans were ruling over the Jews, and so that was rather an oppressive rule. And so this man is really very much an outsider, an oppressor. That would be his, that would be kind of his place. And yet you see there's something very different about this man, don't you? Number one, he values his servant who's sick. Wow. In a day when you got servants, they're a dime a dozen, you're at the top of the ladder, I mean, I just get another one. So this man values his servant. Number two, he's giving his own money to benefit the synagogue. He's not Jewish. He's Roman. In other words, he's there, he's there representing Rome to keep the Jews under his thumb. You see this, right? That's why he's there, and yet, instead of oppressing those that he's there to serve, he actually serves them. And he gives money out of his own pocket to benefit the Jewish synagogue. He's not Jewish, and he cares for his servant, who most likely was Jewish. This is an altogether different man, isn't it? Who uses his authority and his position to serve the people around him who work under him. It's, it's amazing. And it's so amazing that Jesus even picks up on it. Jesus is blown. Jesus himself is impressed by this guy. Now that's saying something. You've just impressed the second person of the Trinity. That's pretty cool. Isn't that cool? And not only that, but then you learn you know, at first, when he sends his guys to go get Jesus, you think, well, that's normal because that's what people with his position do. They have people. You know, my people call your people. We do lunch. We got people. And this centurion, he has people. 
And you think, oh, that's why he sent his people to Jesus, because he can do that. But no, not at all. He explains it. No, the reason why I sent my people is because I don't think I'm even worthy enough to come and talk to you in person, Jesus. I don't even think I'm worthy enough to have you come to my own house. You can't come under my roof. Like, that's no, I, I can't do that. I, could, I couldn't have you do that, Jesus. No, you're too great to come into my house. I propose to you that this is an altogether different guy. This is a guy who actually lives with an honorable mindset, not a dishonorable mindset. This is the guy who has the position, and yet he uses his position to elevate those around him and to serve those around him. That's a culture of honor. You see, in a culture of dishonor, leadership is used to oppress and to control. In a culture of honor, leadership is used to elevate and raise up. God's not opposed to leadership. God creates leaders. It's just what we do with it. That's what matters. In a culture of honor, leadership is recognized, it's honored, and it's used to elevate. That's what it does. And that's what this man is doing. Even though, certainly, according to society, he had every reason to flaunt his stuff, and yet he didn't. In, in, in the kingdom of God, authority lines are recognized and they're honored, but they're not used to control and these people certainly aren't worshipped. The centurion has authority, and he used it to serve. And as a result, he received a miracle. He received a miracle that day. You, let me just put him... Now, Now remember, earlier, Jesus went to his own hometown. And remember how they received him? They're stuck on the ladder. Gee, you're just a carpenter. And here's this guy, later on, Jesus... I'm not even worthy to have you in my house. You're just, ama you're too amazing for me. And who got the miracle? Again, I tell you, dishonor stifles the activity of God, and honor actually encourages it. By dishonoring Jesus, the people of Nazareth missed the miracle, they missed their opportunity. And here's this man, pagan, Roman, non-Jewish. I mean, because he honored Jesus, received a miracle. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, the Apostle Paul actually communicates for us the reason why authority is so important and the right way to use authority. The Apostle Paul said this about his authority as an apostle in the early church. He said, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. I'm not going to be ashamed of using the authority that the Lord has given to me because the authority that I have, I'm using to build you up. You're actually benefiting by the authority that I have. You see how, you see how Paul said that? That's the right use of authority. He recognized the purpose of authority is to elevate and not to control. So listen, let me just summarize this. In a culture of dishonor, authority is used to control. In a culture of honor, authority is used to elevate. In a culture of dishonor, 
appearance is what matters. And in a culture of honor, heart is what matters. In a culture of dishonor, only the people at the top are powerful. But in a culture of honor, everyone is empowered. A culture of dishonor is not safe. I mean, you, you make one mistake and you're kicked out. You live in fear of breaking some rule and being booted out. In a culture of honor, it's safe. There's no need to maintain appearances. You can be yourself. You can grow. You can make mistakes. You can learn. In a culture of honor, people grow. They grow from their mistakes. They're not judged for them. So I ask this question, what does all this mean for us? Well, Romans 12.10 says it best. Romans 12.10 says, honor one another above yourselves. Can you all read that out loud? Read it out loud with me. Honor one another above yourselves. You just memorized a Bible verse in church. Honor one another above yourselves. Simple verse, but it's profound in its implications. What does a what does a church look like? What does let's just make it personal. What does New River Church look like, friends, if we honored one another above ourselves? You know, if if my ministry was to make your ministry look good, and your ministry was to make your ministry look good, and your ministry was to make your ministry look good, like what would that look like? See, a culture of honor where Everyone is valued because people are valuable. And where we actually live to support and hold up each other and elevate one another. Um, can I just take a few moments and honor some people in our body? Just by way of illustration, but also because it needs to be done. You know, like where would we be as a church without the faithfulness of Paul and Lynn Pepper who have literally been teaching toddlers since the very beginning of our church which is 22 years anybody that knows Paul and Lynn know they are faithful rock solid do you understand the impact that that has on our church that kind of steadiness. You know, our church has experienced a lot of growth lately. And honestly, part of the reason why, one of the biggest reasons why, has to do with Marlene and Josie and their leadership in our hospitality. I mean, if you're new, you've been chased down by Marlene with a visitor's bag, giving you your goodie, right? I mean, the, the truth is they've stepped it up, they've organized it, they've put some leadership to it, and now people are beginning to feel like they're welcome. You know, another one who's really crushing it is Tori, Yaka in our grow zone, and Janelle in the nursery. I mean, the fact that Tori was there this morning at 8.30, she's launching this first, this 8.30 celebration grow zone. Like, the team of people that are around Tori is really amazing. Those men and women are incredible. They got stuff organized, you know? You know, like, like organization is important because for us as a church, you know, it's about people. And 
organization is about helping to care for people and serve people. And if we're not organized, we're not able to care very well for people. And so these ladies are super organized and it puts together some awesome things. You know, I remember the day when we had our men's breakfast and Bud and I would struggle to put together an egg and we might get 10 or 12 guys. And, and, then, uh, and then, I don't know, a year or so ago, we, made, we asked Paul Rosa to start cooking and now you got a whole team of people cooking breakfast, even though he says he's the only one, really he's not. There's a whole team of people. And, and 35 guys show up, you know, and, and the Lord is working in power and moving in might on a Saturday morning. You know, the truth is you can't do New River Church without you. New River Church wouldn't be New River Church without any of us. Our church is the, is the sum total of all of us. It's not just one of us. You know, um, it, you know, I mean, let's, let's just call it the elephant in the room, right? But it's pretty obvious that sure what happens on the platform it certainly gets attention but you understand that this is such a small part of what our church does you, this is probably five percent 95 percent is what's done monday through saturday it's you reaching out to people having coffee with people loving on people discipling people praying with people it's you networking in the community it's you using your gifts and your talents and your abilities to serve the Lord. Like, that's, that's the meat of it. You can, you can hire any old monkey to stand up here and give a sermon once in a while. Man, it's not, it's not that. The, the real meat of it is, honestly, it's every single one of us. Do you realize that, do you realize that, that our experience of worship as a church that it has been elevated because of the presence of Maria Diaz. You know that? Okay, she's the first one to say hallelujah on a Sunday morning. Grandma hallelujah. And you know what? Here's, but here's the deal. Maria, because we honor you, we've received that from you. And now as a result, our whole experience of worship has been elevated. Because we haven't rejected it, because you know, because you, you could, she could go into some church and say, "Oh, she says hallelujah." You know, I've seen it. I've seen church people do that before. And instead of that, we honor you, and as a result, our experience of worship has so much been enriched by the presence of one lady who can't even say hallelujah right. You know. <laughs> I try to say hallelujah, hallelujah. But I'm saying by honoring her, we've learned from her. Or, or do you realize that we're more engaged with culture? You know, we're more engaged with culture because, because of Amy Timmons. Because this young lady who's only been a part of our church for a year, year and a half or so, but she's got this fire in her belly for sharing Jesus with anything that moves. And because we honor her, because we honor her in our church, like we receive that gift. Do you see how that works? And we don't judge it, we, we honor, and then as a result, we are made better for it as a church body. You know, part of the reason why our church is so encouraging is because of Bud. You know, Bud came 12, 11, 12 years ago, right, or so? Maybe longer now. And at that, at that point, our church was hurting. 
we were a sad unit man and god brings his brother into our body with his uh just you know infectious gift of encouragement and and who hasn't been in gift who hasn't been blessed by one of bud's stories you know he comes up to you and he acts something out or he talks to you in third person and you wonder what do you say and then you listen to oh okay now i get it you get right i mean we come on we just love that have you not been blessed as a result of that you know i don't know i just think on and on and on there's i could go on and on and on and on and on honoring honoring sets us up what it does is it sets us up to receive the gift that someone else has to bring and as a result we grow see that's how that works and it's not just the spotlight stuff actually it's very hardly that at all it's always always 95% of it Monday through Saturday rubbing off on one another one more Bible verse I could have given us a lot more and I'm sure you're thankful that I trimmed a bunch but here's one more Acts chapter 13 48 it says this I'll just close with this one it says uh, when the Gentiles heard this they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Isn't that something? So they honored the word of the Lord, and as a result, a bunch of people got saved. I just made it blunt. They honored the word of the Lord, a bunch of people got saved. I'm going to close with this. Listen, the reason why honor is so important is because it opens up the floodgates. It sets us up to to. To welcome the activity and the power of God amongst us. Dishonor stifles the activity of God. Honor actually encourages the activity of God among us. It's kind of like my hose. I have this little hose, you know, my hose end and has a dial on it and I can turn it this way and all I get is a little mist. Or if I turn it this way, I get the gusher. What I'm saying is that honor Dishonor closes the, the nozzle. And all you get is mercy drops around us are following. Just love the little. That's nice. But I'm telling you, friends, I want the gusher. I want the power of God to flow through us, in us, to us, and to move with might. I believe with all my heart that God's desire is to do is to bring miracles. God's desire is to raise the dead in this generation. His desire is to heal the sick. That that's really his heart. But that part of the reason why we haven't seen it has been dishonor. And that when we begin to build a culture of honor, that we actually are inviting the power of God to work. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, Check us out at newriverchurch.org.